Tommy and Debbie, you got to love them. We call them our, our hippies. <laughs> uh, but they're, uh, they're doing the work that a lot of people would be afraid to do. If you've never met them, they are precious folks as they go into some areas. Like he was talking about the flea markets. and they, That's not for them to sell things. It, it could be, but that's for them to also set up and, and uh, do whatever the Lord would have them do through song ministry. So really, really neat folks. Okay, so for a big announcement this morning, our Easter schedule. I was telling the early service, if you remember last year, we didn't even have a chance to meet for Easter. Who would ever think that we would not have an opportunity to meet on Easter Sunday morning? Well, we did not, as you well know. And so this year, we thought we would do something special. And that is, so at 9 a.m. on Easter Sunday morning, we're going to have a worship gathering. And that's going to be downstairs in the fellowship hall. Okay, We're going to meet together. We're going to have a time of prayer, some testimonies, and also breakfast is being provided. Okay, So if you want to join us for that, you're more than welcome to come. Sunday school will not happen that morning. Okay, No Sunday school at 9 a.m. and we'll not have a 9 a.m. service. There's going to be one service at 1030. Okay, So 1.30 at 10.30 after that. It's going to be in person. It'll be online. So those of you who are uh, used to being at home can watch online. If you feel more comfortable being at home online watching it, then by all means do that. We're also going to be setting up tables and chairs outside for downstairs if you feel more comfortable eating outside and not inside the building so that you can have that. Hopefully the weather permitting, that'll allow us to do that. But also, and this was the big announcement also this morning, is that I wanted to tell you that Hamp and I took all the church funding and we bought a radio station. Okay? <laughs> We took it upon ourselves. We didn't ask anybody. We just did it. Okay? So, nah, 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 nah. No, I'm totally kidding about that. What we did do, though, is we bought this little FM transceiver, or transmitter, sorry. Uh, it was less than $100. And it's one of those that's designed to go into the parking lot. So, if you don't feel comfortable coming into the building, come join us anyway. You can tune to the station. We're going to try to do 105.9. That's what worked the other day. Okay? And it was really clear. It was great. Uh, you can come sit with us here and sit in your car, sit beside your car if you like, whatever. So it uh, be a very exciting day. We've got some special music planned, but we want this to be a special time, okay? So all of the things are there for you to be able to take part, and uh, you decide what's best for you, and uh, we're just going to do it to honor the Lord. What greater day could there possibly be than Easter Sunday morning for God's people to rejoice, Right? I mean, really, I mean, if it were not, let's just say this, and remember, if it were not for the resurrection, you and I might as well just go home. There's no point in us being here, because there is no hope. In fact, my wife and I were talking about that yesterday. We were coming back from my dad's place and picking up a couple of things that we had left down there, and we were just talking about how hopeless, as we were literally looking at our family cemetery, first time I'd been back since my mom and dad were laid to rest beside each other. Uh, since the funeral, and I uh, just wanted to look at all of that again. And I just got in the truck, and I thought, how hopeless life will be and must be for those who have no assurance of their eternal life to come. How hopeless that must be. And the Lord doesn't want that. And the Lord came to give us life. He came to die for us. And Easter is the time to celebrate that. In fact, every Sunday morning is the time to celebrate the resurrection. That's really why we're here today. It's not just to do the church thing or just be the religious thing, but to enjoy the fellowship of one another, but to hear the word of the Lord who has rescued us. Amen? Okay? All right. So we're going to celebrate big time on that day. All right. Well, let's pray together, and, let's, and then we'll look at the text. All right. Father, we thank you so much for today. We, we're just excited about being together. 
It's just a joy to have the fellowship of heart and the blessing of being a part of your kingdom and a part of your family. Lord, we come to you this morning with open hearts and open arms because we know even though uh, we may have confessed you as Lord and Master, we still need you to cleanse us daily. And so we ask you, Lord, to penetrate into our, whole, our hearts this morning. And Father, perhaps there are some here this morning that don't know you, don't have a relationship with you. I pray that today would be the day. Father, we give you ourselves and we just ask that you would take our minds now and that you would open them, that we would hear you, that we would not be distracted by anything in life, but we would listen to your spirit. And we thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's do as we normally do. We stand in honor of God's word and we're going to read Matthew chapter 7 beginning in verse 21 all the way through verse 29. And this will conclude actually the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we have been in this study for quite a long time now, but this will be the ending of that as we move on now in Matthew's gospel. But let's, let's hear what the Lord has to say. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, and not as their scribes. All right, you may be seated. So as much as we've been studying uh, the life of the true believer, and you know if you've been following along with us in this study of the sermon uh, that Jesus is giving, you know that uh, he's dealt with a lot of subjects, but the main subject has been specifically how to discern a true believer from a person who's not a true believer. And as he's closing out this message today now, he moves from just the narrow road and the wide road, culminating all of this together and, and the false teachers and whatnot that we talked about last time to helping us to realize that there is no greater deception in the life of any person than a person who is self-deceived. A person who has deceived themselves into thinking they truly belong to God when they do not. And so Jesus wants to clarify this for us this morning. And so a very, very, very serious message, as of course it always is, any time we look into the word of the Lord, it's a serious message. Uh, in my opinion, uh, there is no greater message than anyone can hear than this particular message passage of text other than the resurrection itself and uh, the things that the Lord gives to us because it is the most stunning of messages again in my opinion that the Lord has delivered himself personally to those who have been listening to him and the fact is that some who say that they will reach the kingdom of God will in fact not do that in fact Jesus is saying here if you heard the text you were listening he said there will be many 
whatever number you want that to be. I don't know what that is. In fact, I thought about it a lot, and I asked the Lord, Lord, what number are we talking about here? Give us some clue of what number you're talking about. But he doesn't do that. He just says many. Many people will miss the kingdom of God. And these are people, sadly, who will believe that they thought they were okay. That's what I was saying a few minutes ago. They think that they're okay. They thought and have believed all of their life, or at least the balance of their spiritual life, that they've been on the right road. And that when they get to the kingdom gate, they're going to be sadly mistaken because the Lord will turn them away. It's all because they only, according to the Lord, said that they were following him, but they did not do what the Father asked of them. And they only heard, but they did not act upon what they said they believed. And so as a result, they're not going to be allowed in. And I can't think of anything more tragic than that. I can't think of anything more hurtful to those who, of us who love people and to see them rejected when they get to the kingdom gate. And the Lord says the reason is that they miss this is because not because of someone else. It's not because of the false teacher that we talked about last week who is also pointing the wrong direction, making people think that they're on the right road. It's not because of that. It's because they themselves have deceived themselves, believing a lie. Not because they didn't hear the message even clearly. It's not about that. It's not because they weren't in the place of hearing. This is what the Lord is saying to us. He's talking to us about a very specific group. It's not even because they didn't know the truth. These are not people that have just heard this message for the very first time. The Lord is talking about people who have sat under the teaching of the word of the Lord, but they missed it because they have deceived themselves, believing that they were okay when they were not. And again, these are not just any people. These are what we would refer to or think of as religious people, people who say that they have heard and understood the things of God. And we'll cover that a little more clearly later. These people could be what we would refer to as devoutly religious. People who think they are on the narrow road. People who would hear all the talk and the teaching on the narrow road and say, yeah, that's me. But in reality, they are on the wide road. And so the obvious question then becomes, as we hear the beginning words of the Lord, is that how is this kind of deception possible? How is it that a person could literally hear and say that they believe the truth of God, but yet still be so deceived? Well, there are quite a few reasons. I just want to give you a few of them this morning, and then we'll go on with the illustrations that Jesus gives here. Predominantly, it is because they did not really understand what it means to be born again. That's number one. They don't understand what it means to be truly born again because to them, being born again means that I have believed the Bible and I have even put my hand on the Bible maybe at some time. I have made solemn oaths based on the Bible or they have made some kind of confession about their belief or even walked in front of the church at an altar call at some point in their life or even prayed at some point to receive Christ and said that they want Christ in their lives and even living their lives believing in everything that they're saying and never doubting what God has said, they think that they're fine and they're on their way to the kingdom. 
But the reality is they never truly embraced Jesus and his word as the master of their lives. And that's the defining difference. They never embraced Jesus as master of their lives and his word. And nor do they hold the gospel of grace by faith alone for salvation as the only means of salvation. In fact, let me just give you an illustration of this uh, from a report that I've mentioned to you before that comes out every two years by Ligonier Ministries. It's called the State of Theology. It's a statistical study done of about 3,000 people ask various questions. There's a general population that's asked, and then there's a response from those who profess to be evangelicals. Now, an evangelical is a person who says that they believe in the authority of God's word. Okay, now these are key words here. They believe in the totality and the absolute authority of God's word in its entirety. Not just portions of it, but the entire Bible is believed to be the authority of God's word. And then they also, as I said, believe that salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That becomes in a very uh, broad sense, and I'm saying it that way because there's a lot of concern today of the definition of an evangelical. You can't just listen to anybody anymore about what it means to be an evangelical because it's kind of all over the map and it's growing rapidly as it's getting wider. But at its basic foundation, this is two of the foundation stones that would be there. And so this particular study asked some questions. This was done last March, a year ago, this month, just before COVID hit. And so these are some of the responses. The first question was, who is Jesus? Good question. Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. Do you agree with that? Do you not agree with that? And the answers were 52% of the general population agreed that Jesus was a good teacher, but not God. Now, here's the alarming part. 30% of evangelicals said they agreed with that. Okay? 30%. That is a huge number out of 3,000 people who said that they weren't convinced that Jesus was actually God. That's a problem. In fact, I would say that you cannot believe in the God that you say that you believe who is the God of the Bible and call yourself an evangelical based on those two foundation principles that I gave to you and say that Jesus is not God. There's a real problem. The Bible, like all sacred writings, here's another question, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths but is not literally true. Well, 48% agree with that. 48%. Almost half the respondents agreed to that. Here's another question. Modern science disproves the Bible. 17% of the evangelical community said they agreed with that. Everyone sins a little is another question, but most people are good by nature. 46% of evangelicals believe that. 46%. Here's one. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 42% of evangelicals believe that. You starting to get the, the, the point here? There is a real problem with people who say they hold to the absolute authority of God's word, but yet respond to questions like this the way they do. Here's another one. We talked about this a lot last week, so I won't belabor the point. Gender identity is a matter of choice. 22% of evangelicals agreed with that. 
staggering. Now, that's the big part of the problem, is that people who say they belong to the Lord really don't understand that to be born again means that you have repented of your sins, you have had a change of mind and heart to the point where your thinking and your entire life belief system turns from the way it was and you 100% surrender your life to God. Now, I understand the problem with our human flesh, that we can't do 100% of anything very well. We have to have the grace of God to work with us. We're not talking about mistakes. We're not talking about stumbling times. We're talking about the consistency of life. We're talking about people who have said, yes, I understand that I am in sin. I was born in sin and I'm giving my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And from this day forward, I will follow him as my Lord and my master. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what an evangelical in its basic foundation believes. That's what a Christian believes, a follower of Christ. Now, secondly... And the other problem would be is that they, this person would never really do any self-evaluation, self-examination. And that's very important. In other words, they say they've trusted Christ, but they've never really examined their fruit. They've never really looked at their life to see what comes from it. If they do, they measure it based off of their own sense of value instead of what God says. But this is something we should be doing regularly. We should expose our hearts to ourselves. This is why we've said many times over the years, we have to think about what we're thinking about. We have to monitor what's happening in our lives and check our own fruit. God says in 1 Corinthians 11:28, and this is one of the verses that we use regularly with our communion times. Next week, in fact, we'll do it again. It's the purpose of communion, not only to acknowledge Christ as come in the flesh and sacrificed his blood, his life for us, but notice again what Paul says in verse 28. A man must examine himself. He must. Now this was written to the church. This is written to people who are professing to be believers. You must examine yourself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There's a daily examination of the heart that needs to be acknowledged. In fact, when Paul was accused of being a fake by the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, this is his defense of himself, but as he gives him his defense, he turns it around and he says in verse 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. In other words, you're scrutinizing me, but everything that I taught you is true and real and it's of the Lord. He gave it to me, and so you examine yourselves in light of the truth. Along with that self-examination, we're, again, to regularly confess our sins. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Listen, for a person to live their life saying, oh, yeah, I know I sin, but, and always add that on the end of it, is really missing the point. If we confess our sins, though, John says, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we say we've not sinned, you see, to say that you've sinned means that you agree with God. And to agree with God means that you have to confess that sin. It has to be cleansed from us. But to disagree with God makes him a liar. And I don't think any of us in the room this morning or even watching online would confess that God is a liar. 
So there should be a great desire regularly to come to the Lord in confession of our sin daily, not for salvation. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about constantly coming back as if we've lost something that God has given to us eternally. No, once we're a part of God's family, we are always a part of God's family in confession. But we should come examining the fruit as proof of our salvation. That's really the crux of the matter. In fact, if there's no heart's desire to serve the Lord and to examine the heart, then there's some good reason to at least ask the question, am I truly born again? Am I really a part of God's family? The psalmist, this is King David, said this even of himself. Now listen, David was a man after God's own heart by God's own words. But he understood his own sinful heart. But he, and here's what he said of his own examination in verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, my sins. Wash me. You hear the heart of David? thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me and that's the beauty of the Spirit of God in many ways. As we are born again, God puts in front of us the darkness of our flesh often so that we see it more clearly. Now that we have the light of truth in us and so we confess that before God on a daily basis, that's what David's saying here. And then in verse 10 he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Jeremiah in chapter 4 verse 14 says this. Wash your heart from evil, O Jerusalem, that you may be saved. How long will your wicked thoughts lodge within you? And then James chapter 5 verse 16. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The life of the believer is to confess the sins on a daily basis to those whom he or she trusts as a way to honor one another and to honor God so that we become pure people on a daily basis. Again, not salvation. Salvation is a one-time event, but there is the process of sanctification. It's the process of becoming who and what God wants us to be, and that partly begins with that regular confession of sin. So the person who lives habitually in sin, this is the idea of the practicing of sin, is not convicted to put it away has no feeling and urging, compulsion from the spirit within them, is just deceiving themselves. And that's just reality. And and we could say very clearly, it does not belong to God. You remember this text from last week, and it's one that we've often referred to, and I don't want to use it as a way of picking on anyone. It's just the word of the Lord, and God gives it to us to draw some clarity from it. He says... In verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do you not know that the, right, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators or idolaters or adulterers or effeminate or homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And again, don't think for a second that's an exhaustive list. God is simply saying that those who live a life of practicing sin without the conviction of the Spirit in their hearts have reason to be concerned. So much so that God goes on and says through Paul in verse 11, such were some of you. That was you. That was me. Paul could say of himself, I was just like that. I had this daily desire to fulfill my own lustful lustful pleasures. But we were sanctified, we were washed, we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and in the spirit of our God. We've changed. There's been a change. And so the problem is people don't examine their lives. Thirdly, the reason people deny themselves and self-deceive themselves is because they hold on to the externals of religious life. They hold on to the externals of religious life. What are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about things as simple as just going to church. It's a good thing. It's a good practice. It's necessary. It's essential. It should be done. Absolutely. But people deceive themselves by thinking, well, I'm regularly in attendance at the church, and so I'm certain God is pleased with me. Or they listen regularly to sermons, especially those ones that they grew up with and people that they admire and honor and and believe that certainly God will approve of that. And he does, certainly, but there's a problem still because the Lord tells us there is. Or even singing songs, reading the Bible, being a part of Sunday school, Bible studies, even teaching a class as a religious teacher, holding an office in the church, being faithful in attendance or even growing up in the church. Some people will, you ask them about their lives and they'll say, oh, well, I grew up in such and such a church, but there is no fruit from that life. Or even being a part of a church family. And again, those are all great things. Those are all necessary things. They're all a part of the Christian life. But Jesus is telling us here, these can only mask, if we're not extremely careful, without self-examination, they can only mask the deception that Satan wants to give and put into your heart. And that's where self-deception occurs, making you think, making the person think they're okay, when in reality they are not, and they are in great peril of eternal damnation. And then fourthly, I would say that one of the things is, is that people often use incorrect scales, and this is very obvious, a lot of people do this, we do this regularly with things in life, and that is we look for the good to outweigh the bad, praying that God will be pleased with the better side of the good of us than the evil side of us because we don't know how to get rid of the evil. So if I just do enough good things and I measure myself against the things that the other person does in life, then God will be okay with me and all these things. And so they cross off the bad things they do and just hoping that God, again, will accept everything that they do in the good sense. So that's really the message here that God has been giving to us throughout this entire sermon that we've been studying for so long now. And to wrap this up, he's going to give us two simple illustrations to drive his point home. One of those illustrations is a verbal illustration, and the other one is an audible illustration. In other words, people who say, there's the verbal, but do not do, and then people who hear, there's the audible, but also don't act upon what they hear. Let's look at the first one. Verse 21. Again, we read this a second ago. Not everyone, Jesus says, who says... There's the audible part. Not anybody says, who says to me, excuse me, the verbal part, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, just for clarity here, just so you understand in the context, in the Jewish world, to call somebody Lord was really a sign of, uh, of honor. And so that would be understood, a, a sign of, of respect. And, but to repeat it was a great sign of respect. And so Jesus says, there are those who are going to say, Lord, Lord. Now, notice the capital letter there. He's identifying as someone is saying, I'm acknowledging you as God. Listen carefully what he's saying. There are going to be people who will be standing at the gate, anxious to come in, who were those who called me God, 
who referred to me as the true God, and you could even say the supreme master, who will not be allowed in. Who won't be allowed in. You say, Lord, Lord. Meaning they acknowledge him correctly. But notice what he says. Not everyone who says this is truly born again. It's not enough. It's not enough just to acknowledge him for who he is. In other words, just saying his name or even acknowledging him as God does not give you an automatic golden ticket into the kingdom. It doesn't prove anything about a person's salvation or even their relationship about the Lord, or even what they really believe, except that they are acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. Well, guess what? Scripture tells us very clearly in Revelation, at the end of all times, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But not everybody's going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, we know that this is true, that the world, even Satan and the demonic world, believes in him and acknowledges him as God from passages like Matthew 8. Beginning in verse 28, when he came to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way, and they cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And that's just one of others where the demonic world acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Master. And so Jesus is saying in this message that to call me Lord and Master doesn't necessarily mean that you're truly born again. So the Lord even makes a greater distinction, and here's the real point. Look at verse 21, the second part of it, back in our text this morning in chapter 7. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Not everybody who says, there's the verbal, Just saying it doesn't do it, but he who does the will of my Father. What does that mean? Well, doing, if you look at the wording there in the Greek language, is to live obediently to his word. That's what Jesus is saying. Those who live obediently to my word will be the ones who enter into the kingdom. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews makes this very clear in chapter 5, verse 9 having been made perfect, talking about Jesus in his resurrection, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Let me read that again. He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Are you starting to hear what the Spirit is saying? Obedience. 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 When Peter was questioned as to why he should continue to preach in the name of Jesus, you remember this story in the book of Acts chapter 5, he was told very specifically, don't preach in this name again. They were threatened by Jesus. And Peter says basically this, we are witnesses of these things in verse 32, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Obey him. We are doing this because we are commanded to obey him. Opening his letter to the church in Rome, Paul says this about Jesus. It is through him whom we have received grace and apostleship 
In other words, it's not by our own works. It's not, I'm not here professing to be something that I'm not. I'm, I'm doing this because God gave me this task to bring about, watch, the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Why am I preaching the gospel? Because what God wants is obedience. His true followers are obedient. And so all that simply means, and this should be very clear by now, that there's no true salvation without obedience to his word. There's none. In fact, we could say they are inseparable. You cannot say that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and assume that you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven and not obey with totality what he says, calling him Lord. Is that clear? To call him Lord, Lord, is to say, I acknowledge you as master. But to acknowledge him as master means that you obey. And his word is given to us to obey. And so making obedience then the key factor in true salvation, the Lord continues on by saying, let's go back to our text now, verse 22, many will say to me on that day, and by by the way, that day is referring to the day of judgment. There is coming a day of judgment for all people. There is the Bema seat judgment, and there's the great white throne judgment. There's the judgment of believers who have already been accepted into the family of God, but our works will be purged away, and only what's good remains God will use for his glory. But then those who don't belong to God will go to the white, great white throne judgment and they will be judged either to eternal life or to, actually to eternal damnation because it will be too late by that point. And so Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, there it is, Master, Master, God, Supreme Lord over all, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name even cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Many people. Lord, how many? I don't know. The Lord says many. Many will verbalize the truth. They're going to say, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Whatever in your name, even acknowledging him as Lord. which means only one of a couple things. Either they really did these amazing things, which is amazing to think about. They actually did them, but not because of God's power, I think is what the Lord telling us, is because of God's power, not because they were born again themselves. In other words, God did his work through them, even though they didn't know him personally. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. And that's really to me the indication the Lord is giving here that God is not bound by anything. He can perform his work through any means he sees possible, right? He's done that throughout the scriptures. He will fulfill his plan. And he doesn't have to use believers to do so. So it could be that they actually did these works. And again, that's the indication here. I mean, these are some heavy things, right? To cast out demons? To do miracles? I mean, I don't see any of us doing that. So if those folks walked in here, I mean, we probably give them a front row seat. These are special people, but God's saying, that doesn't mean they belong to me. 
Or it could be, secondly, that God has allowed Satan to do the work through them, and that's certainly happened in the past, such as with the sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19. Beginning in verse 11, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And we're told here straight up that God was using Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out. Now that is an amazing thing there. Somehow whatever Paul had on him, he was able to hand off and they were taking it and laying it on sick people and the power of God was on them and healing them. But watch this. Verse 13, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempting to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And if you read the rest of the story, it doesn't turn out well for those guys. In fact, we're told that when the demons say, well, I know who Jesus is and I know who Paul is, but I don't know who you are and begins to wail on them. And so it's possible that Satan can even use and deceive and do things that God allows him to do in the name of the Lord. And that's what we talked about last time with false teachers. Or thirdly, maybe all this was just a fake. It was some sorcery of some kind of thing, some magician's trick like in Egypt. You remember when Moses went before Pharaoh and God told him to cast the staff down and the staff turned to a snake And then Pharaoh called his magicians and they all brought their staffs in and they turned to snakes. Well, what's that all about? Well, it was some form of deception there, some form of trickery, but to prove that God is the God of the Hebrews in the context there, you remember what happened? Moses' snake ate up the other snakes, right? So maybe it's just some kind of fake, who knows? Whatever this was, the Lord means to tell us that these things are being recognized as the Lord is being done in his name, but he's saying, look at verse 23, back to chapter 7 of Matthew. I never knew you. I never knew you. What? I never knew you. But Lord, Master, God, Holy One, We did these all in your name. Surely you'll accept us. I never knew you. What? I never knew you. That's what he says. I never knew you. And what does he really mean by that? Well, to know is a word for great intimacy. It's like a husband knowing his wife, a wife knowing her husband. It's the intimate association of a relationship that is deeper than any other kind of relationship. And we're not talking about in a weird sexual way here between us and the Lord as Satan would conjure up in the minds of some. No, he's simply saying that to know me is more than just a surface conversation or just to acknowledge me as God. It is to believe in who I am and actually have a relationship to the point where there is fruit that's produced from that relationship. Meaning you've done all these things in my name, but I had no relationship with you. You only used my name. And so, going on in the verse, look what he says. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That word depart is the same thing as saying, go to the place prepared for you. Leave me. Depart. Go away. Leave my presence. 
And the reason is because the Lord says, you may have said that you did this out of a right heart, but you were really just practicing lawlessness. In other words, it was all about you. This was not for God. They lived their lives breaking God's law regularly in violation of what God had established. Which, by the way, if you go back and you look at the Old Testament, you will clearly see the heart of God in the law. You will see God saying to the people, I want your heart in this. I want your heart in this. In fact, if you go to Joshua 1.8, he says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. God has always wanted our hearts. He's always wanted a relationship with his creation. But people have deceived themselves into believing that there is another way. And so God is making this point that the lawless person doesn't recognize their sin. They don't see it or confess it. They don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the difference. This is the person who truly follows God. That's why Jesus started the sermon the way that he did. Blessed are these people. Look, here's the ones who truly belong to me. And one of them, if you remember, was the one who truly hungered and thirsted for God's righteousness. And the reason that they don't, it's pretty simple, is because they don't belong to Jesus. That's what he's saying. They don't belong to me. They're not my children. Go away. Go to the place prepared for you. Because they didn't mean it from their heart. And listen, if they did, they would change. If they meant it from their hearts, they would change. And that really is the, the amazing thing about salvation. God's law demands our hearts to change. And there are many people, Jesus says, who will sit under the teaching of my word. They will spend their entire lives in dedication to me, but their heart is not with me. Their heart's not with me. I don't know them, and they don't know me. They look good on the outside. They have all the appearances of everything that looks right and seems right. But inwardly, they don't know me and I don't know them. I remember many years ago, I was telling the early service this, I think it was in the early 80s when, um, I didn't think I told you this, sometimes I forget what I tell you, between two services, (laughs) my older brain. But I think it was Reagan, right, was the president. Did I tell you this already? You can make me feel better. Okay, good, thanks. Um, Somebody said to me one time, do you know who the president is? And I said, well, yeah, it's Ronald Reagan. And I said, that's not what I'm asking you. They said, do you know him? I said, well, no, I don't know him. He's the president. And he says, "That's that's the difference between knowing who Jesus is and knowing him personally. You see, what the Lord wants is for us to be able to say, yes, I know him. I know him. And every person that Jesus encountered in their hearts truly changed. They changed with it. And they began to produce fruit from their lives. And that was from the obedience that they wanted to, that they lived out in, in doing everything that he said. Okay, for the sake of our time, let's keep going here. Notice the second illustration. Jesus is going to show through this illustration that there are those who are on the broad road because they don't build their lives on the foundation of the word. This is a very familiar illustration most people have heard from day one in their Christian life. 
They may hear the truth, same thing, and even say they believe the truth, but they don't obey it still, still believing they're safe when they're not. Let's look at it, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, the word therefore is there because of all that Jesus had just said that we just talked about, because of what I just laid out for you about the true person who belongs to me, everyone who hears, hears the audible, these words of mine and acts on them, there's the obedience, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you're a builder, you understand this principle very well. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. Okay, so in this illustration, there's a comparison of two people. One is wise, one is foolish. Both build a house. One builds on a good foundation, the other one not so good. It's somewhat of a foundation, and that's the point. But it's not a good foundation. It's not the right foundation. Meaning that I think in this, Jesus is saying both heard the gospel. They heard it. Just like you're hearing it today. They heard about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If it weren't for Jesus' death, his burial, and the fact that he was dead and he was raised again to eternal life, there would be no salvation. And every person must believe that in their heart through confession with their mouth and a belief that Jesus is Lord. They must believe it, Romans 10, 9. And so Jesus says they heard that. That's clear from what he says. Look at verse in the verse here. Everyone who hears these words, these words of the gospel, everyone who hears what I'm telling you, but they still don't understand, they still don't respond correctly. The house represents the life of the people, of which one builds on the word, the other doesn't. One builds his life in the confidence that he is good enough or his foundation is good enough. That's the sand, which again has some stability. You know this. If you've ever done anything with sand, you know that you can pack it pretty well. If you go to the beach, everybody knows this. If you've ever been to the river or the beach, you can wet it a little bit and you can pack it into forms and shapes. And it's cool. You see these amazing artists out on the beach and the things that they do. And you're like, wow, that's incredible, right? And there's some sense of which building works with that. But as soon as the wave comes in, what happens? It easily dissipates, right? And so the Lord is using that kind of illustration here, probably thinking about the coast of the Mediterranean right there in Israel. So the person believes he's okay because he's heard the word and therefore he must be pleasing to God. But unfortunately, this man's ability or confidence is in his own ability instead of what the Lord is wanting him to have confidence in. This word heard here that you see is a word that means to be noticed and reported as understood. That's a very important thing to know. So it's not that it goes in one ear and comes out the other. That's not what Jesus is saying. Oh, there's lots of people that come in on a Sunday morning and just out, out, right? Happens all the time. That's not who Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the people who say, I heard that and I got the message. I'm clear on the message. And Jesus says, well, you're evidently not clear because you built your house on the sand. It's been all about you, not obedience to me. Notice something else here, too. The people build in the same general area. I mean, the storms of life come. Jesus says that. 
But really what he's referring to here is not so much the storms of life, and I said that incorrectly, it's really the judgment of God. He's talking about when the judgment comes, when the day comes, like he was talking about in the earlier verses, when the day comes that you stand before God and God judges you, if your house has been built on the sand, it's not going to work. If it's been built on the rock, the rock being the gospel, the truth of Christ, then it will stand. So people live their lives very similarly in this way. They maybe went to the same church. Maybe they had the same or together for years in the same Sunday school class, same small group, same Bible study, whatever it may be. They heard the same messages preached. Even right now, there are many of you who are listening to the same message being preached. This is the picture here. They had the same friends at church, even spent time in fellowship together with people at the church. But in the end, there was a drastic difference. There's a huge difference. As far as we know, their houses were very similar, meaning they had the same belief system. I was joking with the early service saying that maybe they were all Baptist. They professed to be Southern Baptist conservatives. And that became their banner over them. Maybe they were the same politically, even morally, supported the church financially, were responsible to keep it up. They were very much the same, it seems, to what the Lord is saying here. In fact, I think the Lord is telling us, if you put these two people side by side, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. They're going to look almost identical except for this one thing. They built wrongly on the foundation. And so when it comes to the end, when it comes to the determination time, the Lord's going to say, I never knew you. You built your house on the sand. Now there are some fundamental differences. Those are the similarities. One would be the core belief was they totally lived in obedience to God's word. I'll go through these quickly. The other probably uses God's word as a guide or a suggestion. And that's the way a lot of people live. The Bible is a good suggestion book. Oh, I believe most of it. And yeah, I go to church and I study it. And, but the things that don't seem to fit my culture, I let go. I just don't worry about those things that I just don't agree with. And you get the point. The other may think he's right, but he never really examines his thinking by God's word because when it comes down to it, again, he trusts himself more. Arthur Pink, a commentator, I've mentioned him many times before, said this about this passage. He said, these people bring their bodies to the house of prayer, but not their souls. They worship with their mouths, but not in spirit and in truth. They're sticklers for immersion, talking about baptism or early morning communion. That's going through the rituals. Yet take no thought about keeping their hearts with all diligence. They boast about their orthodoxy, that is the cardinal doctrine of what they believe, but disregard the precepts of Christ. Multitudes of professing Christians abstain from external acts of violence, yet hesitate not to rob their neighbors of a good name by spreading evil reports against them. Boy, that's convicting, isn't it? They contribute regularly to the pastor's salary, but shrink not from misrepresenting their goods and cheating their customers, persuading themselves that business is business, they have more regard for the laws of man for, than for those of God, for his fear is not before their eyes. They fear all right, but they fear the world and what they can't get and have more than they do 
being obedience to the Lord. Notice, and I've already somewhat mentioned this, the wise man is said to have built his house on the rock. The word rock there has been often confused. If you've been a Bible student, you know this. The word is Petra there, refers to a large outcropping of rocks or a solid foundation. And that's what I was saying earlier. It's the word of God is, as an illustration that Jesus is speaking of here. And so when he's, you remember back when Jesus asked Peter who he was, Jesus asking Peter, who, who am I, Peter? You remember his response? He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You remember that? Well, Jesus says, upon this, what? Rock, I will build my truth. Well, the Catholic Church, in fact, has taken that to say, Peter then becomes the rock because his name is a form of Petra. And so Peter must be the rock. And that's where the first papal system began to develop out of Peter's line. But Jesus wasn't referring to Peter because all men are sinful. Jesus was saying that the rock is what you just proclaimed, Peter. I am the Messiah, and upon me I will build my church. You see? And that's what he's saying here. Listen, those who have listened to me have put their hope in the rock. Me, my word, in obedience to me. And so again, what all this means is it's just not enough to be faithful to the church. It's not enough to just know the Bible or be like everybody else in the church, but to be obedient to God. That's what he's after here. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Boy, that's a a thought, isn't it? Hey, if you love me, Jesus says, then you're going to do what I say. It's as simple as that. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 1 John 2, 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Isn't that beautiful? Listen, let me read that again. By this we know that we have come to know him. In other words, you want to know how you know how you have a a relationship with him? You keep his commandments. Not just because he said, keep my commandments, but because you love him. And therefore, you want to keep his commandments. 1 John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. 1 John 3, 24, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them. 1 John 5, 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And then later in Revelation 12, 17, and this is the picture of the time of the tribulation just before the Lord destroys everything. The dragon was enraged with the woman, referring to Satan, and the woman being the church, and went off to make war with the rest of her children who kept the commandments of God. You see, always God's people are referred to as those who keep or obey his commandments because their heart is one in love with the Lord because he rescued them. And so to say you believe and follow God but not obey what God has said is to be greatly deceived. To stand on anything in your life other than obedience to the Lord that you love and you know him as God is to be deceived. And that will get you a ticket to the wide road which will lead to the path of hell. Obedience, 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 obedience is the path to life. 
Okay, John MacArthur said this, the life that has a scriptural view of itself as described in the Beatitudes, it is the life that has a scriptural view of the world and sees itself as God's means for preserving and enlightening the world while not being a part of it. It is the life that has the divine view of scripture and that determines not to alter God's word in the slightest degree. It is a life that is concerned about internal righteousness rather than external form. It is a life that has a godly attitude towards what is said and what is done, towards motives, things, money, and other people. It is a life of genuineness rather than hypocrisy and of God's righteousness rather than self-righteousness. Again, think about the person of the Beatitudes. Merciful, humble, kind, Denying self, letting go of pride, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You see, hungering and thirsting for righteousness doesn't come unless you're all about yourself. And that's the wrong way. But the true hungering and thirsting for righteousness says, Lord, I know that I have to have you as my Lord and Master. And I want to follow you. But again, conversely, to build on the sand is all about the self. Me first. Self-will self-sufficient, self-fulfilled, self-glorifying, all those kind of things. To be all of that is to be in the throes of deception. And to think that you're saved when in reality you're just deluding yourself. To build on the sand is to be superficial. Little to no care about your soul or what God thinks. This person would rather do and live without what is pleasing and easy instead of paying attention to detail spiritually. Every detail of the Lord, they'd rather satisfy themselves instead of pleasing God. Even when it comes to the church, the thought is whatever works, but they don't measure by God's word. They don't care about the priority of God's word. Whatever it takes to grow, we'll do it. Right? I mean, folks, listen, this is why we're seeing less and less and less of the authority of God's word being delivered because the deception is, I can't get people to come to church by that. How am I going to get people to come to church, to our church, if we're preaching about a right way and a wrong way to live? Nobody wants to live by, hear that in this culture, right? In fact, in our culture today, you can't speak up about anything that you believe in without being attacked in some way. And again, just to be clear, it's, Jesus is saying it's not that these people don't genuinely believe. That's not it. They do, but they decide right and wrong based on their own view instead of what God has said. I mean, you and I are called to say, this is what the Lord says. It's not my opinion. And so we will do what God says. But we're living in a day, and we have, and Jesus was living in the same kind of situation it's always been going on that whatever, we'll just do whatever we want to do and we'll call it all in the name of the Lord. And there's so much more I could say about this. Could I just say it this way? Salvation is found. Salvation is found along the path of death to self. That's where salvation is found. In fact, Luke 14 says this, large crowds were going along with him. And you know why large crowds were going? Because he was the next exciting sideshow. I mean, he was becoming the main program. And he turned and he said to them, imagine this now. I would never say this if I wanted to grow a big crowd. But Jesus wasn't in it for big crowds. 
He was in it for the reality of people getting into heaven. And he turns to this large crowd and he says in verse 26 of Luke 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And that's repeated in Matthew 10, 38, Matthew 16, 24, and Mark 8, 34. How many people do you think would join us here at Laurel Hill if you went to them and you said, hey, I want you to come join me for Easter Sunday morning resurrection service and I want to ask you if you'd consider being a follower of Jesus. Okay? You said that to them, right? Sounds good. Should say that. But then you said, but here's the deal. In order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to deny every person that you love You have to give up everything that's holy and sacred to you personally. You have to deny even your very flesh, surrender all that you want in this life to serve him and only what he wants. How many people you think would take that up, that deal? Not many. And that's why Jesus says, many will say this, but there will only be few that will find the way because it's a very narrow path. So, the foolish man who built his house on the wrong foundation is like this in Luke 9. They were going along the road. Someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. Basically, I have nowhere to lay my head. And the guy says, "Uh, well, let me first go do this. In fact, he says, "Um, let me go bury my father. And then he says, allow the dead to bury the dead. And another says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus says, no. Now, Jesus is not being unkind here. He's not saying that that's not important. He's simply saying, you cannot have anyone or anything in front of me when I call you. Nothing. No one. Because God in his grace will provide all of those things in a beautiful way. He'll support and give to us everything that we need in this life. He's saying, between you and me, there can be no gap. Nobody can come into place. And that's challenging. And many people turned away. So you say, why did the Lord's challenge the people like that? Because to be a part of the kingdom is not just turning over a leaf. It's not just deciding on January 1st that I'm going to become somebody different this year. It's not just going into the gym and looking better. It's not just saying I'm going to have a better diet. It's not, you know, it's not any of that kind of stuff. No, this is a complete life change internally. A soul-searching, heart-checking, mind-changing, seeking God's word for life. That's what he's after. And he says, those are my people who will enter into the kingdom. So the man who builds on anything other than the word of God will be destroyed. Why? Because he thought he was okay. And there is no other place to be If you're not with the Lord, the only other place to be is without the Lord, and without the Lord is in eternal damnation. Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 12, and we're almost done here. The Proverbs writer says this, There is a kind who is pure in his own eyes. Talking about people. There is a kind of person who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. You hear that? There are people all over who think they're on the right path. But the Lord says, I never knew you. 
The man who builds on the word of the Lord will survive the judgment that will come. In Job 23.10, Job wrote this, He knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. How about that? 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Okay? To all of which, at the very end here in the last two verses, Matthew writes for us, When Jesus had finished these words, the crowd was absolutely dumbfounded. That's almost literally what the language means here. They were amazed. They were just overtaken by the authority of his message. The word amazed means struck in the mind. Totally dumbfounded. But the sad reality is, and he knew this, many still didn't change. In fact, we're told in one passage in the gospel, many stopped following him because it was just too tough. Matthew 13, 13, while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. They went back to their life as usual and Jesus became something to remember from the days past and I'll just get on with my life. So the question obviously becomes, where are you this morning? I mean, doesn't that just have to be the question? As Jesus is teaching this to us this morning, we have to ask ourselves the question. Lord, let's ask the Lord the question. Am I on my way to the kingdom? Am I on the right path? What do you think the Lord's answer is going to be? I think his answer is going to be, who are you trusting? When you call me Lord, am I on the right path? Are you looking to obey me in this life? Are you desiring to surrender all that you are and know to me? Is that what you mean by Lord? Or are you really just looking for a way to make yourself feel better and hope everything's going to be okay? So let's ask him the question. And his answer will be, if you confess me as Lord and you truly believe me to be Lord of your life, then do what I say each and every day in my book and you will see my kingdom. You will see it. And you say, but Lord, that's too hard. I can't, I can't do that. Yes, I know. That's why I did it for you. And my grace will be sufficient for you. I will help you along the way. And God gives grace to his people, doesn't he? Those of you can testify to that. God has given you grace to be the person that he wants you to be because you can't do it on your own. Yes, he will do that. And you will live with a joy in your heart knowing you're not perfect. You've got to confess your sins daily to him. Not because you need to be saved all over again, but just because you know without him you're not going to make it. You can't, you're not going to do it. He's done the work for us. Amen? Okay? Now that's a lot. Right? That's a lot to take in. And, and if you're like me, if you're like the disciples listening to that on the mountain, you're kind of walking away going, wow. In fact, his own disciples at one point are going to say to him, Lord, who then can be saved? Who can do this? And Jesus says what? With God, all things are possible. In other words, don't you worry about that. You just obey me. 
You fall in love with me and you get to know me intimately by studying my word and being a part of my kingdom and forget about what the world's telling you and follow me and I'll show you what life is really all about. That's eternal life. Amen? Okay. All right. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, always and that's always what we need to do is to thank you because you are a God who first of all loves us Lord, I know because I know my mind well enough to know that in my early days, I I was just like this. I was that guy who was raised in the church who knew all about you. I sat in the Sunday school classes. I heard the teacher. I can remember even my parents' teaching. I had a great sensitivity to you. Lord, I even remember that day that the pastor brought the water from the Jordan River and used it to sprinkle on my head in the little Methodist church and I didn't feel worthy enough to even touch it. But Lord, later I realized that I didn't know you. And so Father, thank you for your teaching. Thank you for the clarity of your word that we all need. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning that as we close out this wonderful sermon that we've been in for such a long time now, that we too would walk away from this place being dumbfounded. But dumbfounded not in the sense where we want to go the other direction and leave, but dumbfounded in the sense that you are the one who has the words of life. And so like Peter, Lord, where else could we go? Help us, Father, in our weakness to run to you and not run away from you. Lord, forgive us for the areas of our life and the years of our life where we may have wandered and believed that we are okay, only to find out that we hear now that we're not okay unless we obey you. And so, Lord, I would pray that whatever you need to do in the hearts of any individual here, whether it's just an encouragement and a reassurance, or, Lord, maybe there's somebody listening today who would say, I've never really obeyed Jesus. I've never fully turned my life over to him. Lord, I pray that you would do that today. Eternity depends on it. We're not talking about just getting a tax refund. We're not talking about just getting a better job or a better house or whatever. We're talking about eternity. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would do your plan. And we just want to submit to that. So, Lord, touch the hearts, we pray in Jesus' name.